They may have a header over the top. In my Bible, it says the desert will blossom. Things in the desert don't blossom. It's too hot and arid out there. But what God is saying to us is even in the middle of dry and barren places and desertous places and wasteland places, He said you can blossom abundantly. Even if the world is falling apart around you, you can be blossoming. You can rejoice. You can have joy in singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see. They'll see God's glory. And the excellency of our God. Today I want to preach to you on the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Help me decree and declare what thus saith Almighty God. Let not my words be heard, but your word be spoken. Take a coal from the altar of heaven and anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare thus what says Almighty God. Father, I pray that you would open eyes, hearts, and ears to hear the word. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it there likewise. And Father, let everything that is said and done from the start of this service that we've already began to the conclusion of this service bring glory and honor and advance the kingdom of God. We pray this in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, Amen. And you may be seated. I do see we have a few uh, guests here with us today. Sandy Circle, can we just give a hand of appreciation and welcome to our first-time guest today with us today. If you are a first-time guest, there's a connection card in the seat in front of you. Uh, we would ask that you would fill that out and uh, just turn it into one of the boxes in the back or hand it to one of our hospitality members. And uh, so we can, we're not going to send you unsolicited mail. We're not going to send you coupons. We're not going to call you about your car warranties about to expire. We just want to know what your name is. That's all we're after. So please fill that out. And uh, Kristen, you don't have to fill yours out. I know you, Kristen. It's good seeing you. You don't have to fill yours out. But uh, um, so good to see her today. Cedars of Lebanon. If you know anything about um, the Bible and you've read it, you'll know that throughout the Bible, there are oftentimes in, in different scriptures um, a reference called the Cedars of Lebanon. Sometimes it will be on a prophecy. Sometimes it will be in some kind of prophetic code. Um, in fact, if you study the early temple, the original temple uh, that Solomon built, when David was contracting all the materials that he needed for, for he wanted to build the temple, but, but God said, you've shed too much blood, so you can't do it, but your son Solomon will build the temple in your stead. So David began to collect all, if you will, the, the, the resources and, and get everything together. And when it came time for the temple to be built brother Wayne the Bible said that that Solomon he he went out and he talked to the king that was over the region of Lebanon and he asked for cedars to be cut down and he wanted those if you will wooden planks of cedar to be if you will made and they made them into a raft and they floated them down the the sea into the port where they needed it to be for Solomon and he built a lot of the temple with cedars of Lebanon and and other parts, Isaiah is famous for talking about cedars of Lebanon. David mentions the cedars of Lebanon. And so there, there's, this is a, a very common, if you will, uh, terminology that is used in Scripture. The, this particular passage we read today is, is centered on a prophetic code Isaiah is giving to Israel. He is talking to them about their future. But it is also a spiritual prophecy concerning God's people and the people of God. It's still a prophecy still to happen today. From the prophets to Moses to Malachi, they were all well acquainted with the 
cedar trees that grew on the mountains of Lebanon. And Lebanon, it is a, it is a place that is on the west bank side, if you will, uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Middle Eastern area. It is the, called the land of the Phoenicians. It is a, uh, an area that is very mountainous and it borders uh, Israel and Syria. Israel is below it. Syria is kind of to the side of it, and Lebanon is right above Israel and to the left of Syria. It is still a place there today. In fact, there is a lot of civil unrest over the last few years. You've seen with Israel and Syria and the Lebanon, all that area is all of the places that are fighting and are, that are constantly uh, in unrest and turmoil. And, and it was a very mountainous region, but they had beautiful, beautiful, big cedar trees that would just spring up on the side of the coast right there off the mountain just boom a tree when when Brianna and I went to California earlier this year uh, and drove the Pacific coastline we're driving down and we get to this place and we see that everybody there's a bunch of cars pulled off the side of the road and we're thinking well this must be a cool thing to look at but we didn't see anything worth looking at and Brianna said well pull the car over everybody else knows something's got to be down there or somewhere because everybody's pulled off the side of the road so we pull off, we walk down, we try to find, we, we, we listen to the voices, and we try to track down the follower the voices were, and we don't started walking down this, kind of just like this, kind of like this grassy embankment, and when we walked down and we crossed over the embankment, we looked down, and right, it was probably about 100 to 150 feet out into the Pacific Ocean, but it was like this long, narrow, rocky, uh, uh, if you will, almost like bridge, man, uh, it was not a man-made bridge, but a, a natural bridge, but at the end of it, there was just one tree. Just one big old tree just in the middle of the rock by itself. It was a cedar tree sitting out there all by itself. Nothing around. There wasn't another plant. There wasn't, It was just one old tree way out there just sitting. And, of course, everybody was taking the pictures of it and trying to get selfies in it in the background and all that stuff. And it was, a, it was quite the sight to see. And Moses and Malachi, all these people would have known what the cedars of Lebanon were all about. It was used as for the foundation, framework, and furnishings of God's temple. But we know that God had a temple back then for the people. But today, God has a people that is His temple. And things switched in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God built a temple for His people. But in the New Testament, He built a people to become His temple. And it changed. And the Bible tells us, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, do you not know that you are the temple of the Lord and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are now His royal temple. You are now His furnishings. You are His pride and joy. Solomon had it all innately, beautifully adorned with gold and all overlaid with gold. It was one of the most beautiful and majestic things you've ever seen. But do you know more majestic than Solomon's temple? God takes more pride in showing you off than He does a man-made building you can have all the furnishings you want in a building you can have all the recess lighting you can have the pyrotechnics you can have the stage lighting and accent lighting you can have the best band you can have the best singers you can have the most comfortable pews or chairs you can have the most beautiful Taj Mahal's of building but none of that impresses God God is more impressed by you being his creation the Bible said he sings over you he delights over you God doesn't care necessarily how beautiful you build the building he cares about how beautiful you are as his perfect creation you are his the apple of his eye you are what makes him smile you are the thing that brings him joy he is used to 
this temple. Now, when some people think of cedars, they think of just one giant big tree. Now, scientifically speaking, there are multiple variations of cedar trees. And so I've looked up some of them, and, and, and I'm going to talk about four different types of cedar trees. I'm not going to use the scientific term for these cedar trees because most of them are in Latin, and I can't spell them, and you wouldn't know what I said if I did. You would think I'm speaking in another language, and somebody would have to interpret it. I can't pronounce those words. They're like 14 letters long. But there are some characteristics of each one of these trees, so we're going to I renamed them, if you will, by their characteristics so that we can talk about them. And you want to go home and look up the Latin, by all means, take your time and have fun with that. But in the Bible, the word cedars, or cedars, or the word cedar, talking about the tree, is used over a hundred times, which means it is repeated constantly. In fact, a cedar plank, or a cedar tree, is normally used for furniture. It has a citrus smell and an uh, aromatic scent to it. It's, it's not real musky. Yeah, it's not as minty as pine. It's not quite as, uh, uh, it doesn't, it's not as strong as, as a saddlewood. But it has like a nice citrusy uh, 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 smell to it. In fact, if any of you had uh, parents and grandparents, that uh, had old antique furniture. Majority of antique furniture is actually made out of cedar wood. My grandmother had a cedar wardrobe or cedar chest made out of cedar. And you could walk in the room and you could smell an aroma. It was a, it had a distinct aura. It wasn't a bad smell, by any, but it was made out of cedar. I, I, I've, I've seen people that will cut a circular uh, cedar plank disc and they'll stick them in their drawer uh, with their clothes to help keep the, the if you will, the, the musky and, and the dampness, and they'll use that cedar plank, they call it, to help with the aroma of, of their of their furn- of their uh, of their clothing drawer. It has a. It has, in fact, most of you probably don't know, but most perfumes and most colognes have cedar in it. You know that? I didn't know that. You're wearing trees. Every one of you are a tree hugger today. Everybody, if you sprayed perfume on this morning, you probably put a tree on today. It has cedar in it. Now, there are obviously hundreds of other elements involved in it, but cedar is used in a lot of perfumes and, and cologne because it is not super strong, but it gives just that hint, just that whiff that you took a bath. You know, it just gives you a little something special. So I quickly want to talk to you about a couple of the cedars today. The first one I want to talk to you is the little cedar. This guy doesn't seem to be all that important. He's the tiny little guy. He kind of grows up. He pops up. He kind of he gets dwarfed by everybody else. He's not really that big. But he is very important because the smaller cedar trees, or what they call little cedar trees, they cut them down to make fence posts and uh, animal gates, like, like sheep pens or, or cattle gates. They use them for fencing because they are short and compact. Now, you're going to figure out here in just a few minutes that some of these characteristics I described to you, I'm also describing how God wants us to be cedars in terms of being the body of Christ and being the church of the living God. They were short. They were compact. In fact, there was a film that, uh, that was, was out years ago where, where they were showing the, the, the strength of these little cedars, and they had stacked all these little cedars on the back of an open truck, kind of like a logging truck. They had stacked them up. 
And when they were getting ready to pull off, the documentary, uh, the, the, the person, the journalist who was doing it said, well, aren't y'all going to tie them off? Aren't you going to make sure? Because what if you go down the road, hit a bump, all of them are going to fall off. And the guy said, no, we don't tie them off. He said, but that's not safe. You can't do that. He said, just watch. So they get in the car and they said, the narrator says, you, you, you're sure? And he said, no, I promise you they're going to be fine. They start driving down the road and every bump they hit, even though all those cedars were just little cedars were just laying on top of each other and they weren't tied down or whatever. Every bump they hit, when they would shift, they would shift, but they would almost like, if you will, shift into each other. And they were just round, circular, if you will, planks of wood. And he said, what you don't know is this particular type of cedar tree has the ability, because of the way it's shaped and designed, it has the ability to cling to the things beside it and not let go. There is a certain thing it produces in its in its its bark and trash. And so the driver started hitting potholes on purpose and watched the cedars bounce up and none of them fell off. He said what it is is these cedars have a consistency in their bark that allows them when they come in contact with one another, they help each other stay steady. So they don't move. Can I tell you that God, that's how God wants to build his churches today. He doesn't always need big trees. Sometimes he needs small trees. He doesn't need everybody to be the preacher. He doesn't need everybody to be the singer. He doesn't need everybody to be the Sunday school teacher. But sometimes he just needs consistency. He needs somebody he knows will be there to pray on Sunday morning. He needs somebody that's just going to sit on a pew on Sunday night. He just needs somebody who will offer up a prayer on Tuesday afternoon when nobody else knows they're praying. He doesn't need... Everybody doesn't have to be in the limelight But for God's church to be successful And to sustain and maintain Sometimes he needs the little cedars The one that says I'm just going to stay close to Jesus And no matter what bumps come my way I'm not going to get off track I'm not going to fall off the truck As long as I'm close to Jesus Whatever comes my way I'm going to ride it out with him I'll ride it out with him it doesn't have to be, these trees aren't special, they build fences. But they're consistent in what they're called to do. God doesn't care about our high polished mahogany. He just needs us to be standard fence posts. God doesn't care how polished you are. He does all the polishing. He just needs you to be consistent in your service to Him. He doesn't always need the most qualified. He just needs the most usable. He doesn't always need someone who has all of the, the accolades and all of the, if you will, the, 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 the uh, uh, things that follow it and all of the, you know, if you talk about like the, what they've accomplished and their PhDs. Or they, God doesn't always need people that are touting their own accolades. He just needs people that are dependable, available, and malleable for His use. They have a, these little cedars have a, stick to itiveness to it, if you will. They just stick together. That's why I believe the Bible tells us that we are to be, as the body of Christ, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. I don't think it's just because God wants you to be miserable on Sundays and come to church because He doesn't want you to have a life. I think God knows that if there's a, there's a certain stick to itiveness about us, that when we're together, we're stronger together than we are when we're all apart. We're better together. We may not always feel better together, but we are better together than we are apart from one another. 
See, the reality of it is there are too many pastors in this world spending too much time running after truckloads, picking up all the fallen cedars of their church, when really, in reality, while they shouldn't have to be worried about that because the church should be sticking together. They should be holding this thing together. The difference between the cedars that fall and the ones that don't has to do with a habit and a custom. They get into a habit. Most people, most... uh, uh, Scholars say it takes about 21 days, somewhere between 21 and 24 days to create a habit. If you do it that long, after a while, it just becomes routine. But I also want to tell you, you can create good habits and bad habits. Good habit is, I hope all of you have got mastered the art of taking a shower on a regular basis. That's a good habit. A bad habit is when you don't brush your teeth for 21 days. That's a bad habit. But spiritually, you can create good habits and bad habits. You can love God and you can come to church and you can do all the things that you're supposed to do and that's good. Or you can start putting everything else before God and before long you're so far out of church, you're so far out of disconnect with God, you're so far out of disconnect with the body of Christ, you don't know what that because you got out of the habit. If there was ever one downfall of COVID, COVID did, what it did is it got some people used to sitting at home and it created a habit. And now it, the hard, it's, a hard, it's difficult for the habit to be put on my clothes and go to church. Now I've got people in my own family that will tell you. I like being at home. I like staying at home. They'll tell you that. They don't make any quiet. They don't even. They don't even bat an eye. COVID created a, a if you will, a, a dichotomy, if you will, uh, in the body of Christ, to where really there are people in this world. They think they're. I'm not saying you know it's between them and God, their eternal security. But there are people out there that feel like they're just fine being at home. But they are disconnected from the body of Christ. They don't have no connectivity. You can always tell when someone's been out for a while. They come to church about a month later, and when they come back to church about a month later, when they come to church, they go, well, when did y'all get the new lights? They've been there six months, honey. Oh, pastor, when did we get the signs at the front yard? We put them in six months ago. Pastor. When did we have hand sanitizer machines at the front door? When we built the church, we put those in. Well, Pastor, when when did Brother Mike start playing the trumpet? The Sunday he started was like six months ago he started playing. You know, you don't ever want to tell them, but you can always pick up on it because they, they're amazed. Like, well, Pastor, the last time I was here, we didn't have that. What That was six months ago. It's been a while, hasn't it? They've had a, if you will, a, a level of stick to to them that has fallen apart. They have got out of the habit. I'm not here to preach to you on your church attendance. What I am here to tell you is that if you're not careful, the devil will get you out of a habit of doing the things of God. And when he does that, you'll one day look back and go, well, how did I get this far back? You got there because you got out of the habit. You got out of the habit. Lives. Lives are, uh, are all up and down. Our lives are all, everybody knows that. Your lives are up and down. We all, everybody has it. Some days are good, some days are bad, some days are up, some days are down. That's habit. But some habits are good. You see, some people, they, they want to hear from God, so they pray. Some want to read His Word, so they study the Scriptures. They are witnesses, little cedars. They do all the right things and don't care if anybody else notices. They just do what they're called to do. They study, they pray, they read, they tithe. That's good preaching. 
I'm not even doing stewardship campaigns today, but that's good preaching. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. Proverbs 3 and 9. I didn't write the book. I read the book. Hello, preacher. It is impossible to walk in the blessings of God until you're responsible and faithful to trust God with what's His already. Hello. God does not ask for your leftovers. He asks for you to give Him 10% and He'll show you what He can do with 90%. Isn't that kind of like, if I had a $100 bill and I said, I'll tell you what. If you give me, you had, let's say you had a $100 bill. And I had a $100 bill and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you $90 a month if you just let me keep 10 of it. $100 bill. I'm gonna, I, I, I just need 10 bucks for gas. I'll give you, my, I'll give you $90. I'm going to give you $90 right now. Just let me keep 10. Most people in this world today wouldn't bat an eye. They'd say, man, keep the 10 bucks. Man, that's fine. I'll take the 90. That's a good deal. I'll take it. Except we don't trust God like that. God, let me keep 100, and then you still bless me, and I'm not giving you nothing. That's how we tell, that's what we say to God, really. Well, God, you know I got to make that boat payment. God didn't tell you to buy the boat. <laughs> God, you know I got to, you know, you know, Lord, I, I had to buy a car. Yeah, the dealership was offering you a $30,000 car, but you wanted a $70,000 fully loaded truck. Well, that's that, that's $40,000 difference. God just said he provides your way of transportation. He didn't say it had to be fully loaded. In fact, Jesus never had a fully loaded. I don't know how you can fully load a donkey. I've never seen a fully loaded. Maybe a Bronco? I don't know. You know, They got them Ford Broncos now. I don't know what a fully loaded donkey would be like. Maybe one that, you know, is fast. I don't know. The Apostle Paul wrote about little, cedar, little cedars in Romans 16. He said, Greet Aquila and Priscilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but the churches of the Gentiles. Nobody really knows who Aquila and Priscilla are until Paul mentioned them in the book. But Aquila and Priscilla were the ones making tents that taught Paul how to make tents and helped Paul learn how to make tents so that Paul could make money to do the kingdom work. And while he's out saving the world, you know what they keep doing? making tents because Paul still needs money Paul still needs financial support Paul still needs somebody on the on the grassroots area making sure that there's finances and so while Paul's out there being Billy Graham of the New Testament Aquila and Priscilla are just maintaining the tent making business they were the little cedars they were consistent but boy they made a difference Paul said I had I have to give them thanks if it wasn't for them I wouldn't be who I am today there's a lot of us that you can have a pastor that stands behind this sacred lectern and he can be the next Joel Osteen he can be the next television the Jimmy Swaggarts the Billy Grants whoever the Ray H.U.'s the Tim Hills he can be whoever but somebody in their life was a little cedar that nobody else knows about because they wouldn't be there had there not been a little cedar somewhere You'll hear these guys oftentimes talk about a praying mother. You'll hear them talk about a praying grandmother. Most of those people, nobody in the world knows who they are, but they know only because they see the person standing behind here. But the person standing behind here wouldn't be here had it not been for the little cedar out there. The second cedar tree is what they call the fire cedar. Shepherds would actually use this to light fires at night to keep them warm in the field. They were used because this particular cedar tree exudes a natural oil that is flammable. It literally, if you will, sweats oil in the bark. It has a sweat 
to it, and they call it sweating of the tree, and it produces an oil that will catch on fire, just like that, just, just a little bit of a spark. It don't take much, just, just a little bit, and it will catch on fire. Just a little ignition. It didn't need priming. Hello, preacher. It didn't need pumping. It didn't need pleading. It didn't need pushing. It didn't need begging. It didn't need mortgage off your house for it. It didn't need seek God eternally and sweat by the sweat of your brow. Hope it's going to come to faith. It didn't need much of anything. It just needed a little something to catch it. Didn't need a lot. And it would burn all night. Not only does God need churches that have consistency in them, he needs people that are on fire in the building. We've seen all this stuff happening in Hawaii and other places, these wildfires and things like that, and, and all this stuff that's going on, and how we know how fire can spread, we know how, how devastating and powerful fire can be. But when it comes to the things, there's also good qualities of fire. Fire can burn off impurities. Fire helps purify gold. The Bible says like a refiner's fire, we have to sometimes go through it, and, and God will make us purified because of it. Fire purifies elements. The original purpose of fire was purification. In fact, fire is actually used a lot of times. They would actually sometimes burn fields so that it would basically kill it so that when the next year they'd plant things again, it would almost be like getting a fresh start at the soil and a fresh, getting a, a redo because they wanted to purify the parchment or grounds. A fire is a purifier. But can I tell you, God doesn't need people that he has to constantly prime God doesn't need people that you constantly have to pump and plead and push. What God is looking for is a fire seeder in his church that it doesn't matter how much Sister Sherry sings or how in tune Brother Randy's guitar is or how great Sister Carol plays or how awesome the preacher preaches. The first time they hear the name Jesus, that's all they needed to catch fire. The music didn't matter. The preacher didn't matter. The lights didn't matter. The air conditioning didn't matter. All that mattered is when they heard Jesus they said that's a name I know and that's all I need to know and from that point forward they take it from there I remember when I served as an associate pastor in, in the middle part of the state I took a group of students to a thing in Columbia they called winter jam it's like a Christian concert on crack it's like it's like going to a Rolling Stones and a kiss concert and sitting on the front row except they say Jesus from time to time Loud lights, earplugs, Excedrin, migraine, BC, booty powder, all that you needed to survive the night. And I was taking a group of students, and I had a little lady in my church. She was probably in her mid-50s, maybe, I don't know, at the time. And she, uh, she said, I want to go to this concert. And I said, Sister Sally, you do realize this is not when we all get to heaven. This is going to be pretty rough. Oh, preacher, I want to go. I go. Okay, get on the bus to 5 p.m. We're leaving. She showed up. Sure enough, lo and behold, I thought she'd cancel. No, she showed up. I thought, oh, my, I can't wait she comes back and tells the senior pastor what we just took these kids to. And we get on the bus, and we, we, we head up to, to Columbia. We stand in line. We get in there. I mean, probably a good 30, 45 minutes. It's so loud. People were leaving the adults were leaving and standing in the hallways of the arena, like in the thing, so they wouldn't have to hear the noise of the arena. It was so loud. She was standing on the edge of the rail like this, and it was like probably a 40-foot drop straight down the next section. For the longest time, she was just sitting there. 
all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she jumps up, and I thought she was going to jump over the thing. I mean, she jumps up, and I was like, immediately thought, oh, God, she's going to fall over the thing. And she's just jumping and going crazy. And I thought, what happened to this lady? So we asked her. I said, Sister Sally, I said, um, you've been in this concert for over an hour. You looked miserable. Now all of a sudden you're jumping up and down. You're, work, you're, you're acting crazier than my 15-year-olds over here. Did, your, did you take some kind of medicine and it kick in? I mean, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? I said, did you know this song? Is this one of your favorites? She said, Pastor, I ain't heard. I don't know any of the stuff. That, I ain't heard one word these people have said. I don't know anything. All I hear is. I said, so what made you jump? She said, because in the middle of all the. One of them actually said Jesus. And I heard that name and I recognized it. And that's all I needed to hear in that story. And I said, you're telling me you just, you don't even know what they sang. All you heard was one time Jesus said, yeah, preacher, I don't need a lot. I just need to hear the name Jesus. That's all I got to have. Can I tell you it should be the same way in the church today? It doesn't matter if everything sounds like blah, 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 in your ears. When you hear the name Jesus, it's, that's all the name you need to know. You don't need to know the name of the preacher. You don't need to know the name of the singer. You don't even have to like the song. All you need to know is Jesus, and that's all that you need to know is Jesus. That's it. That's all you need to know. They would ignite. This fire would ignite. 120 believers in the upper room, they ignited. I mean, they caught fire quick. The church was born in fire, and it is sustained by the fire of the Holy Spirit. People of fire are the fastest growing people in the world. People follow fire trucks. They don't turn their car around to follow hearses. Everybody turns around and goes, whose house is on fire? Let's go look. You see us, you see Dal Murray come running by, you just go, oh, we'll wait. We ain't, I ain't following them. Ain't. Nobody follows the funeral possessions. Follow fire trucks. A couple months ago, a couple, about a month or two ago, there was a house in our subdivision caught on fire. We saw the fire department go by. My wife was so intrigued, she jumps out the chair, she runs up the window, she opens up the blinds like we're going to see. I mean, the fire truck's been gone, he's passed by our house, she's looking, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, she comes in the room, I'm already in, you know, in the bed, you know, laying down, I was reading my Bible, whatever, I was laying down, and she said, hey babe, I said, yeah, she said, how much do you love me? I said, whatever it is, not enough, right now. She said, this fire truck just went by the house, I said, Cool. It had its lights on. Cool. It's going somewhere pretty fast. I can still hear the sirens outside. Okay. You think you want to get some clothes on? Let's get in the car at 1 o'clock in the morning and drive down and see whose house is on fire? No. Well, I want to go. Well, you can go. Well, I want to go by myself. She was so curious about that fire. And I tell you, when a church catches on fire, people will start talking. They'll become a curiosity factor. People even in the community will go, you know, I don't know about them Sandy Servo people. I don't know nothing about Church of God. I don't know if they handle snakes. They don't handle snakes. I don't know if they jump pews. I don't know if they jump pews. I don't know. This, but I'm going to tell you what. I heard they have people get healed of cancer. That's something that's pretty intriguing by me. So I'm going to go to church next Sunday because i got some things in my life. And if that church can get God to answer a healing of cancer, I want to go. And they'll start talking because something caught on fire. But if you're a dead church, they ain't coming because they don't want to die with you. Hello. God did not call us to build cemeteries. He called us to build fires. The reality of it is fire sustains. 
everything in the Old Testament. The tabernacle had a fire. It had to be anointed. You know, some people are about as effective for the kingdom of God as a screen door is to a submarine. You think about that for a minute. You put a you put a sunscreen or you put a screen door on the front hatch of a submarine and you open up the hatch and just get some fresh air. That ain't going to work so well in a submarine because you don't need a screen door because you open the hatch, you're underwater, you're going to drown. That's how that works. The same way spiritually speaking too, there are a lot of people, they're not doing much for the kingdom of God. They may go to church, but they ain't doing much. You say, preacher, you're just trying to you're trying to bait me in to volunteer. No, no, I'm telling you, but the Bible says we should work until he comes. We must be that. The apostle Paul said, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of his spirit and power. Fire produces purity. Malachi 3 and 2 but who can endure the day of, who can endure until the day of his coming and who can stand when he prepares he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap then there's this third tree it is called the humming cedar it is actually the cedar trees that grow at the very top of the mountains the big ones at the top they only grow up there and what happens is when a storm would begin to blow and, and it would brew and the wind would start blowing. The wind would blow through as the storm would come off the coastlines. It would blow so hard that when it would blow through the trees, it would make a like a, a, a definite humming sound or a articulate pitch that you would hear it. And some scholars and others that have studied biblical archaeology and things like that said that there are some old ancient writings of, of people that... They have traced that, that some have even found in te certain texts that they believe that David could have very possibly, the reason he talked so much about the cedars was because he would tune his harp to the sound of the wind underneath the tree he was sitting as he watched his sheep. There was a certain sound that he was acute, acuteness to his ear. And he would tune his harp to match the sound of the whistling of that tree. I don't think I have to really go very far in this particular point to get you to understand that there, as the Bible said, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it clothed all of them. Sometimes we just need to listen for the sound, and when the sound comes in, we need to make sure that we are in tune with the sound as it whistles by. We have to be in the right moment, the right atmosphere, the right attitude, the right worship. We've got to have the right heart. We've got to have the right attitude. We've got to be in tune with his spirit. There are other times we see that. I, I believe Paul and Silas would have been considered humming cedars. You say, well, they're not trees. You know, you know, the idea of the humming cedar. When the wind blows, you can still discover whether you are a humming cedar or a scrub oak based on how you respond. Discouragement is the devil's favorite weapon. He knows, how, he knows that you're never truly defeated unless you're defeated from the inside out. 
The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 10, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ may be manifested. He said there's a lot of stuff that happens to us that we don't like, but God didn't take us out. He didn't let us get taken out. Oh, Paul was knocked down. He just was knocked out. In fact, they tried to stone the man, and that didn't even work. They stoned him, left him for dead, and if you study how far he walked back to the city, he walked back approximately 40 miles to the town they just stoned him in. To do what? Preach again. I mean, that's brass. They kill you, or try to kill you, and you walk back in there and say, hey, I'm not dead yet, let's talk about the next part of the scripture. That's pretty tough stuff. You know why Paul and Silas were what I would call humming cedars? The Bible says they're sitting in a Philippian jail. It's midnight. They've been beaten. They've been bruised. They've been discarded. The Bible says they begin to sing. Somehow their hearts got in the same frequency as the wind of the Spirit. And they kept singing. I don't know what they were singing. I don't know if they were singing once like a bird in prison. I dwelt. No freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and whispered to me, Glory to God, he set me free. I don't know if that was the song. I don't know if it was, if you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom for saving, he's a prison shaking savior. I don't really know what song they sing, but somehow... Sister Patricia, in their singing, their song somehow hit the same frequency as the wind of the Holy Ghost. And heaven heard the sound and heard the whisper. And the Bible says, while they're just in the middle of singing their little song, heaven dispensed help. Chains did start falling. Prison doors did start opening. And it not only opened for Paul and Silas, it affected everybody in the jail. Paul and Silas were not the only ones who got set free. Every criminal who wasn't singing, every low-down scumbag who didn't trust God saw their chains fall down. They saw them chains. They might. They saw physically their chains came. But when the Philippian jailer came out about to take his life because he thought they were all going to, Paul said, no, 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 don't kill yourself. We're all here. Why? Because I'm sure all those loony bins that were in there too, even though they wanted to run, they thought, oh God, if we run, he'll strike us dead. We better sit here because we have never seen anything like this. The Bible said the Apostle Paul led the Philippian jailer to Jesus, led his wife to Jesus, led his kids to Jesus, and that night baptized all of them for Jesus. Can I tell you, you don't praise God just for you. You don't worship God just for you, but you're doing it because there are other people in the sphere around you that needs to hear the sound of heaven. They need to hear the wind blow again. They need to hear the Spirit of God usher in a miracle again. You have to learn to praise and worship God because everything around you changes when you and God get on the same frequency. It all changes. Ms. Carol, as you make your way. In the early years of World War II, shortly after England had driven back the German bombers in what was known as the Battle of Britain, Sir Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England, was speaking to the Canadian Parliament in Ottawa, Canada on December the 30th, 1941. Churchill said this, he said, I warned the French 
that the Brits would fight alone if they had to, but we weren't backing down. Whatever they did, that's fine, but we weren't fighting. The French went back and told their government, in three weeks from now, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. She'll no longer be there. With a charismatic kind of aura about him and a defiant attitude, Sir Winston Churchill unbuttoned his top button of his shirt, pulled back his collar, adjusted his neck and said, I'm some chicken with some kind of neck. See, what he did was, he said, what is that, what is the point? So Winston Churchill wasn't going to let what the enemy made him think was insurmountable affect what he knew he was capable of doing. The devil might make you think you cannot get out of it and you're not going to make it. But if God is for you, you can stick your head up high out of the sand and say, but I can see rivers and wastelands and I can see all kinds of miracles and desertous places. I read it to you today. In the middle of the desert, you can bloom and blossom. And the glory of God will be seen. And the final cedar, you probably know it, you've all seen it. They call it the tall cedar. It's the big ones. They stand so tall, they're so majestic, they're so beautiful to look at. It is not the height of the cedar tree of the tall cedar that makes it so special. It is the ecosystem of its roots. Because a cedar tree, the taller the cedar tree goes up, the further the ecosystem roots of that cedar tree goes down. And most cedar trees, they are as, as, as tall as they are, their roots as as tall down underneath the ground. They are as tall underneath the earth as they are sticking out above the earth. It's like an iceberg. You might see the top of the iceberg, but you don't see how far that iceberg goes underneath the water. You're grounded and grafted into Jesus. The devil might think you're just a little tiny thing. What he doesn't know is you got a good root system. You got a foundation. You got stability. You got structure. You got something that when the winds blow, you ain't falling. Other trees may snap in half, but you're going to stand when the storm is over. Because your root system is strong. Others fall by the wayside. That's why you find people when they love Jesus, they'll come into church, they get saved, they're ready to go for Jesus, they're on fire, and in about six months they fizzle out because they don't have a good root system. But you let someone that served God for 20, 30, 40 years, hell could come at them with an AR-15 or a bazooka and shoot them straight in the chest, and they still get up and say, that's the best you've got, devil, because they got a root system you can't explain. And them old seasoned saints, man, they, they've walked hell or high water. We, we talk about how bad it is now. Man, there's some people, that grandmamas and great-grandmamas, some that have passed on, some that are still alive. Boy, they've walked through some desert. They've walked through hell or high water, honey. You ain't seen nothing like they've walked through. Praying food on the table, literally. They have nothing in the cupboard. Praying for somebody to DoorDash groceries on the front porch before DoorDash even was in business. They didn't have money to go to doctors. They had to pray for God to heal cancer or they died because they didn't have insurance to go to the oncologists. All they had was God and that was all they had. But that's all they needed. They had a deep 
root system. Psalms 92 and 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm trees and they'll grow like cedars of Lebanon. I love one of the things about a cedar tree is a cedar tree will grow near living water. Not, not stagnant water. Listen to what I just said. Cedar trees cannot grow near stagnant water. It will grow near living water. And what a cedar tree will do is it will find a rock. The root system will find a rock close by. And it will wrap its root system around the rock. That's why when we went to California, and Brianna can tell you this, there's no tree to be seen. This is this rock long, if you will, uh, uh, natural made bridge from all of the clashing of the waves. And you couldn't walk across it because it wasn't sturdy enough. But, but I mean, it had been sediments had eroded and it was long, probably, probably 100 feet long. But at the end of it, there's no trees, there's no plants, but that one tree, the cedar tree. But a cedar tree will find living water. It'll take its root system and it'll wrap itself around a rock. And it will literally, its, its roots will kind of go around. It'll kind of mold around the rock, go down under the rock. And it will literally like grow around the rock and hold it. Because if the rock ain't moving, the tree ain't moving. Now let's look at the elements and then I'm done. Has to be near living water wraps itself around the rock it's funny that Jesus said if you knew who was talking to you young lady you would ask him for a drink from the wells of stagnant water no 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 wells of living water Jesus said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water Jesus said he's the rock David described it. I go to a rock that is higher than I. I can't even get there. I go to a rock that is higher. He's the rock. He's my fortress. He's my church. The rock. So for a cedar to survive, it has to be near living water, and it has to be grafted or attached to the rock. If you and I, God's temple and his church are to survive, we've got to be near the living water, and we've got to make sure we're grafted to the rock. Because when we get stagnant, we'll die. And if we're not grafted to the rock, we'll blow over, snap, bend, and break at the cares of life. But if we have the rivers of living water, and we stay true to the rock of our salvation, and we just stay together, the winds can blow, the storms can howl, the lightning can flash, the thunder can roll, everything else around us can fall by the wayside. But when the dust settles and the S-O-N shines again, when everybody looks, guess what will still be standing? me cause the cedars of Lebanon me is going to be grafted to the rock and be by the rivers of living water so that when that storm is over and Jesus shines through in all his glory in the middle of it the glory of Lebanon will be seen again you are the cedars of Lebanon you are the glory God wants to display in this world but here's the question are you are you are you that cedar of Lebanon? Are you that safe place? Are you living your life with rivers of living water? Or are you grafted to the rock? Or are you just barely getting by and the very next storm that comes your way is going to take you out? I can't answer that. Only you can. 
tell you right now, God needs little cedars. He just needs consistent people. God needs fire cedars. They don't need any pushing, prodding, priming. They just need to hear Jesus, a little spark. That's all they need. He needs people on fire for him. God needs humming cedars. He needs people that will worship him to get the frequency right so that heaven hears it and we hear heaven at the same time. God needs tall cedars, people that will say, I don't care what comes my way if God be for me. What can be against me? When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. God needs tall people to say, no matter what comes my way, you're going to hear me say, I got confidence. God is going to see me through. No matter what the case may be, I know he is going to fix it for me. The only person in this room can decide if you're going to be that cedar tree or not every head bowed and every eye closed the first question I always ask every time if there is someone in this building today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life they want to know Jesus in the full parting of their sins and they want him to be Lord and Savior and forgive them so that they don't spend eternity separated from him if you don't know Jesus and you want to ask him into your heart you just slip your hand no one looking around but me and the Lord are there any we don't want to hold anybody up from getting saved today all right my second and final question is this. Is there anybody today say, Pastor, I feel like this message spoke to my heart. I want to be one of those cedars. I want to be, I, I either want to be a little cedar that's consistent or a fire cedar that is a spark that will help this church catch fire. Lord, or, or I want to be one of those humming cedars that, that, that worships God in the midst of it all. Or I want to be one of those tall cedars that can be dependable and can be trustworthy you say today pastor I want to be a cedar I want to be one of those type trees one of them I feel God speaking to me I want to be that and I want God to help me be that if that's you you slip your hand you say pastor he spoke to me today are there any yes are there any God bless you God bless you yes amen if everyone would stand we're all over the house this morning Here's the, here's the prayer of the church. If you need prayer, you absolutely are more than welcome to come, and, and I'll pray with you today. I'll be honored to pray with you, but if you don't, feel comfortable praying, I understand. But I pray that you really listen to what the words of this message said today about the cedars of Lebanon and about the different characteristics of these trees. I believe God's got a special place for His church. I believe God's going to do great things in this church. We've got to be willing to work until He comes. So what I'm going to ask you to do before our, we final finish up with a benedictory prayer, I'm going to pray over you today, and I'm going to ask you to pray that God would help you be at least one of those cedars. And you ask God to show you which one He needs you to be. The one that catches fire, the one that's consistent, the one that's tall and doesn't waver, the one that's a worshiper, the one that, that's, that's able to be dependable. But you ask God what it is that he could be with you. Father, I have done my best today to preach your unadulterated word to the people of God. I ask today that you would speak to our hearts. And God, the people of God that are in this house, I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to be cedars of Lebanon. Let them be consistent. Let them be purified and fire baptized and 
catch fire, to burn a blaze for the kingdom of God. Let them be worshipers that they are tuned to the Spirit of God. God, let them be men and women. God, that stand tall in the midst of adversity and says, if God is with us, nothing else is going to take us out. Bless this church. Father, may you bless it and keep it. May you make your face shine upon it. Be gracious to it. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and redeemer. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. People of God together said amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Ertzberger. He's going to close us out in prayer this morning. Uh, and immediately following that, you're free to be dismissed. Service tonight at 6 p.m. Midweek service Wednesday at 7 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall in the back. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you, Brother Randy.